0: Good morning and welcome to Wheaton Bible Church. Special thanks to Eric Godoy for that original composition and the strings for helping to prepare our hearts for worship today. Special welcome to our second Sunday of Advent where we are particularly considering God's love for us and the gift of his son Jesus Christ. Today we get to sing together again some familiar Christmas hymns, which is such a privilege, and I want to encourage you not to let the familiar, familiar words pass you by, but to spend some time considering truly what we're singing and the good news that it is for us and for the people around you. Here are some of the things we're going to be singing in a few minutes. God and sinners reconciled. He is born to give us second birth. Now you need not fear the grave. Go tell it everywhere. and Let's sing praise with one accord. Let's go ahead and stand together as a congregation and hear this call to worship from Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high, but who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? Praise the Lord.
1: Was born for this. The Christian friends rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now ye need not fear the grave. Peace, peace, Jesus Christ was born to save. Cause you one and cause you all to gain his everlasting all was born to say Christ was born to say They're watching, no oh, silent floods mine night.
2: In love, a throne will be established. In faithfulness, a man will sit on it. One from the house of David, one who in judging seeks justice and speeds the cause of righteousness. John 3.16-17 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 1 John four sixteen to 19. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us.
3: Often when we think about the great love of Jesus, we turn rightfully so to the cross. But at Christmas, this love is first shown in his incarnation as God himself through his son, stepped down to be within his creation, taking on frail flesh and human needs. Christ's loving humility did not start with his earthly ministry at age 30. It was manifested at the moment when in love and obedience to his Father, he was born in human form. He emptied himself of his heavenly glory and royal rights when he left his eternal place with the Father to become one of us forever. It was this same love and humility that eventually drove him to the cross to die for our sins and bring about our great salvation. The Advent season should remind us of the great love of the Father did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, first as a helpless baby and then as our sacrificial lamb so that with him, God may graciously give us all things. We light the second advent candle to remind us that God is love and that as we wait in anticipation for Christmas, the hope, peace and joy we have comes from the breathtaking assurance that we are forever standing upon and hidden in the everlasting love of Christ, and that nothing can ever separate us from it.
1: Will you stand as we continue our worship?
4: It's so great to see you here today. My name is Hannah and I, wait a minute, it's December. My name is Hannah and I serve with our Student Life team. Our creative team is hard at work crafting memorable Christmas Eve services for you and your friends and family. Whether you're worshiping with us online or joining one of our four services on campus, you can get all the details and reserve your seat at wheatandbible.org slash Christmas. We know that many of you enjoy inviting friends and family, and so we set up a way you can send a customized postcard invite wherever you choose with a personalized note for your recipient. Whether your guest is joining online from across the country or is registering for a seat on campus, we're excited to welcome them to services at our campuses this year. You can send your card at wheatonbible.org slash Christmas. We'll see you there. As we approach our annual business meeting and the expected vote on our next senior pastor, we want to invite you to become a member here. Membership is required to vote on the next senior pastor's confirmation and approving our annual ministry financial plan. The next membership class is next week, December 13th through Zoom. You can register and get more information at wheatandbibleorg growthtrack. This is the last opportunity to become a member before the annual meeting, and we hope to see you there. That's all for today. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. We hope you have a very Merry Christmas.
5: Well good morning Wheaton Bible Church. How are you? Well it is good to be with you this morning. For those of you who do not know my name is Josh Laxton. I am one of the teaching pastors here but I also have the privilege of pastoring the young adults. Now if you are between the ages of 18 and you know, somewhere in your 30s, that would that would include you. So, uh, which if you're not, I'm so sorry, you do not get to join. But we, you know, we'll look at you and, you know, uh, from a distance. But it is really good to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Genesis chapter 3 as we continue our Advent series, The Gift, where we will be looking at love. Now, while you turn there, let me celebrate with the Wheaton Bible Church family uh, about where your giving goes. Now, I know that we have had a difficult year, um, I would say, in the States. And one of the things that I'm about to say, you would be like, well, you know, know, there's been touch and go in 2020. But we do have religious liberty here in the U.S., And we are extremely blessed that we get to gather together without fear of the government coming in and violently doing anything to us as we worship the king. Now, there are parts of the world where that just is not a reality. One of those parts of the world was the Sudan. Now, for decades, they weren't able to worship King Jesus. They were not able to celebrate his birth. But last year, there was this Christmas miracle where the government allowed believers to gather together and to celebrate the birth of King Jesus. Now, one of our partners on the ground, Call of Hope, guess what they were able to do last December? They were able to distribute 40,000 Bibles across the Sudan so that believers and those seeking King Jesus could read about this incredible story now we Bible don't miss this when you give to the church you give to the mission of God and the mission of God covers our partners just like call of hope so when you give you make a difference. And I heard this from a mentor of mine. When you don't give, you also make a difference. Why? Because we're not able to do as much. So here's my my ask. One, would you continue to pray for our partners across the globe, especially during this Christmas season? Two, will you continue to be faithful? And thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you so much for your generosity. And then three, If you don't give, would you consider giving? Would you pray to the Lord and ask him to open up your hearts and say, what should I start giving? Because every single cent that you give to Wheaton Bible Church goes to the mission of God. Why? Because God has chosen his local church and his local churches to be the vehicle by which he accomplishes his mission. All right, so let's pray for our partners. Will you join me? Father, thank you so much for your great love for us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you. So as we, as we look deeply into this love, will you open up our eyes? Will you open up our hearts? May you draw seekers closer to yourself may you shape and conform more of those who follow you into the image of Jesus father we pray for our partners like call of hope for for their for their mission and their vision and their ministry on the ground May you use them mightily this Christmas season. May many men, women, boys and girls come to faith in Jesus as a result of their ministry. Thank you so much for Wheaton Bible. Thank you so much for the faithfulness and the generosity of countless followers of Jesus. Father, I pray for even those who are not giving but they wish they could. Father, would you stir their heart? Father, would you rearrange things in their life that they might start participating this way in your mission father we submit to you we surrender to you you are our king and we worship you and all god's people said amen well genesis 3 i know that is probably an unfamiliar passage for the christmas season but what i really sense the spirit leading me to do this morning is to go to the very first time we see God's love demonstrated because it would have been easy to go to John 3:16 and unpacked for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It would have been easy to go there and you'd have been like, oh, that was a good message on God's love. But I wanted to go to Genesis 3 where we see God's love demonstrated for the very first time. Now, but before we go any further, I I, I came with a, a Christmas movie quiz question and there's only one question. So, so you either pass or you fail. I mean... That's just it this morning, but, but here's the Christmas movie quiz question. What was the title of Kevin McAllister's drawing in the first Home Alone movie? What was the title of Kevin McAllister's drawing in the first Home Alone movie? If you said battle plan, you would have been right. Now, why do I show you that drawing, battle plan? Well, it's because what we're going to see this morning is God's cosmic battle plan, not to defeat Marv and Harry, because if you've seen the movie, this eight-year-old little kid is going to take on two robbers by himself. Like he doesn't call 911, he doesn't go next to to his next door neighbor and say, hey, I got two robbers, they're coming at my house tonight, would you help me? I mean, he doesn't, it's just Hollywood for you, right? Eight-year-old little boy takes on two grown men by himself and wins. But what we'll see this morning is, is a battle plan that is real. A battle plan that is as real as you and I sitting here today. And it's God's battle plan, not against Marv and Harry, but against Satan and sin. And this is the main point that we will flesh out this morning. God's battle plan against Satan and sin is to unleash his boundless love towards and on sinners. Let me say that again. God's battle plan against Satan and sin is to unleash his boundless love towards and on sinners. And my hope this morning is that what we see in the garden will help us make sense of the manger which will help us make sense of the cross. Now, I also want to welcome those of you who are joining us via online, Facebook, uh, YouTube. Welcome, welcome. Here's what I would ask you to do. Would you like and share this? Because I know there are people in your feed, in your life, they need to know if God loves them. And what they will see today is that God loves them. This is an important message for today. Why? Because people I think do have a difficult time whether, you know, believing whether or not God loves them. And it might be because of their own volition. Maybe they think they're bad. Maybe they think they are sinners and maybe they're they're dealing with shame and guilt and they're thinking, man, God can't love me because I don't even love myself. Or maybe they think that God is some vengeful, angry God seeking vengeance on sinners, and so they don't even really believe that God could even be loving. I want us to understand today that love is an essential part of our life for, for our life to flourish, and this morning we will see that God loves us. So would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word, Genesis 3. We'll look in verses 14 and 15, but we'll cover throughout the message, verses eight through 24. Genesis three fourteen, the Bible says this. So the Lord God said to the serpent, which is Satan, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Jesus, speak to us. Mold us, shape us. Spirit, draw sinners. For it's in your name we pray, amen. So what I want us to look at this morning his four ways God unleashes his boundless love towards and on sinners and thereby defeats Satan and sin. Number one, if you're taking notes, God seeks the rebels. God seeks the rebels. And we see this in verse 8 and 9. So let's read verse 8 and 9 together. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? See, we have this picture in Genesis where God has created a perfect world. He has taken that which was chaotic and he has brought order to it. He has created his prized creation, mankind, and he has fashioned them in his image that they might reflect his glory in all spheres of life. And there he placed them in the garden so that they might have perfect communion with him and themselves. But along comes the serpent because Adam, he was slacking on his priestly duty. He was not to let anything unclean into the garden, but he was slacking on his duty, like I said. And the the serpent slithers and starts this conversation with Eve. The next thing you know, Eve succumbs to the temptation. She eats from the forbidden tree that the Lord God told them not to eat from. And then she turns and she gives some to her husband and he just bites it too. And then they realize they were naked. Well, immediately they knew something was wrong and they start to sew fig leaves together to make clothing for themselves. So I want you to imagine that you are Adam and Eve, that you are God's prize creation. You lived in a plush garden, but now you realize something is wrong. Your world has been turned upside down. And now your, your, your five o'clock evening stroll with the Lord is it's coming about, and you hear the sound of the Lord in the garden. And you think to yourself, something's wrong. I know that we got closed now because because we 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 felt ashamed, we felt embarrassed, but we, and we had to we had to go to work clothing ourselves, but what, what will the Lord say? And you're Adam and Eve. And you're trying to figure out what to do as you hear the presence of God. And what do they do? As God is walking, they're running, and they're not running to God. They're running away from God. Now imagine that you're God. This is your prized creation. You're omnipotent and you are omniscient. You're you're all powerful. You're all knowing. You know what they've done, and you're walking. And see, we get this picture that God, he is is not this vengeful, angry, belligerent, tyrannical God coming to destroy sinners. No, he is a gentle father walking in the garden knowing what his children have done. And as he walks in the garden, he simply calls out like a gentle, gracious father, where are you? where are you you see what I want us to see in this picture is that God is the great pursuer of sinners God seeks sinners I don't know if you've ever lost a child like in public but my mom lost me when I was 15 months old. Now she would say that she didn't lose me, that I ran away, but, but I had to call my mom because I don't remember, I was, I was 15 months old. So I had to call my mom because she's told the story many times. I just wanted to make sure I got the facts right when I shared this story. And so we were at the mall and we were trying on shoes. Now, if uh, you had been at Tri Village months ago, I kind of shared a picture of how many shoes I have. I'm not gonna tell you how many I have today, but I have a lot of shoes. And I think I know why. When I was 15 months old, my mom was taking me to the shoe store to try on shoes. I love shoes. Well, and so we're there at JCPenney and she had a pair of shoes she wanted me to try on. And then she, you know, she got me out of my stroller because that's how young I was. And she's told me to start walking. And so I start walking and so I start walking down the aisle of JCPenney's and then my mom, she sees that I'm getting a little far. So she just kind of starts walking after me. The next thing she knows is that I take a turn around the corner and she's like, well, where is he going? And so she starts to kind of chase after me. Well, after she gets past the corner, I'm gone. She doesn't see me. Well, and so she doesn't freak out just yet. I mean, she's like, Where, how far could he have gone, right? So she starts just kind of looking for me, seeing if I'm under the clothes racks. Uh, every time she sees uh, another person, she's like, have you seen a little blind-headed boy like, that walked around here? And they're like, yeah, he, he ran off that way. And so she would go that way. Well, minutes have passed and she still cannot find me. And so she tells the story, she begins to internally freak out because I've now been gone five, six, seven minutes. Well, now it's getting to the 10, 12 minute mark and she's still not found me. And so now she is in an all out panic. She's running to the mall security guards. Hey, I, my 15 month year old boy, he's gone. You know, can, can you help me? They shut down the mall because this 15 month old little boy has gotten away. Well, a few moments later, she finally, someone finally finds me. I am across the store. My shoes are off and I have two quarters in my hand. Now, I don't know where I got the quarters. My mom didn't give them to me. She has no idea where I got these quarters, so. uh So I don't know if I was wanting to you know, get a taxi, have no idea about what was going on. Why did I tell you that story? Because my mom, she went into an all-out panic, searching under clothes racks, searching under you know, dressing room doors, telling the mall security guard that her 15-month-old is lost. And the reason why she did that was because she loved me. The reason why God pursues sinners, the reason why God seeks rebels is because he loves you. And throughout scripture, we see God seeking rebels. He seeks Abraham. He seeks the children of Israel. He seeks Rahab. He seeks Nineveh. Throughout the Old Testament, God is seeking rebels. Why? Because he loves rebels. But you get to the New Testament and there is this magnification of God's love for sinners. Why? Because Jesus said that he had come to do what? To seek and to save that which was lost. So maybe you're sitting today and you are in isolation. Man, 2020 has been an isolating year for you and you don't know if anyone loves you. You don't know if your spouse loves you. You don't know if your children love you. You don't know if your siblings love you. You don't know if your friends love you. You post something on Facebook and you don't get any likes. No one sent you any Facebook messaging in a while and you are sitting there reeling, wondering if anyone loves you. Can I just be very clear today? And say that God loves you. That God loves you. Now, so God loves you in that he seeks rebels. He seeks sinners. But the second thing that we see here is that God shares the good news in light of the bad news. This is the second way God demonstrates his love. Is that he shares the good news in light of the bad news. Now, here's, here's what I was thinking about. If there is such a thing as good news, it only stands to reason that there is bad news. And let me say this also. If you truly love someone, you will tell them the bad news. If you truly loved them, you would tell them the bad news. Now, interestingly, here... We see God sharing the good news and the bad news, but he actually shares the good news before he delivers the bad news. But what what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to give you the bad news so that we can spend a little bit more time on the good news. Now, here's the bad news. Here's what God says. He says to the woman, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. Sorry, women. But one of the things that I caught for for the very first time this week is that undoubtedly there was going to be pain in childbearing, but now it's just going to be severe. Thank you very much, Adam and Eve, right? I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So there's going to be this friction and tension in their relationship. To Adam, here's what he said, because you've listened to your wife and ate from... The tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you will return. So how do we make sense of the bad news? Well I don't really have time to dive into all of this but here let me just say it this way is that God had taken that which was chaotic and brought order and flourishing. Now through sin Mankind has taken that which was ordered and has now introduced chaos once again. They have flipped the world upside down. So the way mankind would relate to God would be strained. It would be severed. The way mankind would relate to one another would be full of strife and tension and conflict. Even the work that we do in cultivating the raw materials of the earth, that would be damaged because we would work all day by the sweat of our brow. But there would be times where thorns would grow and choke the work of our hands. And then you have to understand the stewardship, how mankind was to exercise dominion over planet earth they were to do so under the lordship of god well now they're not going to exercise dominion under the lordship of god they're going to exercise dominion they're going to manage creation the way they see fit well good night if mankind is is managing creation the way they see fit and they now feel like something is wrong with them internally and they feel all of the shame and guilt and embarrassment I mean, just think about the created order now and it being tainted by sin and sinners. So this is bad news for creation. We are one disordered, created order. This is bad news, but there is good news. Let me give you the good news. And we see the good news in verse 14 and 15, the two verses that we read. Let me read them again. So the Lord God said to the serpent... Because you've done this, because you've tempted Adam and Eve, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. So basically what God is telling the serpent is that you will live a defeated life. Now that's good news for us. Now he goes on to say, and I will put enmity. That's the reason why I use the word battle. I will put enmity, I will put hostility, I will put a battle between you and the woman, between you and her offspring. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now we know that the serpent is Satan. Uh, Revelation 20 uh, verse two, John tells us that Satan is the serpent of old. But here's a question that many people have asked me throughout the years. Why is Satan allowed to exist? Why is Satan allowed to exist? Because we know that God can crush Satan. He tells us here. But we know at the very end, we've read the end of the Bible. And we know that Satan is put away. He's destroyed. But why? The million dollar question is, why does God allow the serpent to continue to exist after this? Don't miss it. Genesis 3.15. When God sets up enmity and hostility... When he sets up this battle, what is this battle going to be over? Well, it's going to be over two particular things. It's going to be over God's glory. So God has allowed Satan to roam the earth to try and tempt humanity to turn their eyes and their heart away from God, thereby thereby robbing God of his glory. So God has allowed Satan to roam the earth to rob him of his glory, or at least try to rob him of his glory, to try to take human beings away from God. He's allowed that. Why? Because God wants human beings not to be forced to love him, but to love him because they want to love him. So now by allowing Satan to roam and to tempt, He now, now we have this choice. Do we love God or do we love ourselves? But the second, the second reason... Why God allows Satan to roam the earth is because of God's grace. So not only does God allow Satan to try to rob him of his glory, but God has allowed Satan to try to rob humanity of grace. Now this is so important. Satan thought that if he could get Adam and Eve to eat from the tree that God forbid forbid them to eat from, Then God would have done to them what he had done to Satan, which was kick them out, never, never to pursue them, and for them to live a cursed life forever and ever and ever. That's what Satan thought but God disrupted Satan's plans in that he's going to show grace to sinners, something that Satan never and will never experience. He will never experience God's loving pursuit. He will never experience good news. And so now Satan, he is on a mission to rob humanity from experiencing the grace of God. So there's this battle now raging in planet earth and it's between the serpent and it's between humanity because human beings were created to glorify God, but Satan is trying to thwart that. And because now we are sinners, God is on mission to pursue us so that we might be be reconciled into a relationship so that we might experience grace, so that we might experience mercy. But Satan is on a mission to rob us from experiencing grace grace but that's what makes verse 15 so important because it's what scholars refer to as the proto-evangelium which means the first gospel so what on earth is this first gospel the first mention of of good news well four things really quick number one here's what you need to know about this good news in verse 15 is that this good news is a seed from the woman and this seed will come from Adam and Eve. It will be an heir of Adam and Eve and it will be a he. Notice it goes from offspring that could be singular or plural to singular he. So there will be this seed that comes from Adam and Eve. This seed will stand firm in the midst of temptation. So where Adam and Eve fail, this seed will succeed. Three. This seed will decisively defeat the serpent. This seed will crush the head of Satan. Although Satan will nip and strike and bruise his heel. And then four, this seed will bring life and flourishing. In other words, this seed will reverse the curse of sin. So I want you to know, we get this picture that that this seed will be superhuman. It will be human, but it will be superhuman. Now, from that moment, humanity had to wait until the unveiling and fulfillment of God's hopeful promise. And throughout the Old Testament, we are giving details of where the seed will come from, specifically. We know the seed was going to come from Abraham. We know the seed is going to come from David. But we're still waiting in the Old Testament. We're still waiting for the seed to come on the scene. Then there's this 400-year silent period between God and his people. And they're thinking, oh my gosh, has God forgotten us? But no, God has not forgotten them. So after 400 years of radio silence, uh, the Spirit of God speaks to a young virgin named Mary in her teenage years and said, you are going to be with child. And this child... It's not going to be like any other child. This child is the promised seed of David, the promised seed of Abraham, the promised seed of Eve. That's the reason why Luke in his genealogy in chapter 3 writes this. Jesus was the son of David, son of Abraham, the son of Enos, who was the son of Seth, who was the son of Adam, who was the son of God. So Luke wants to make sure that we understand that Jesus is the promised seed fulfilled from Genesis three fifteen and all of the other promises in the Old Testament. And what's so interesting about Luke is in the very next chapter, he gives us the account of Jesus's temptation in the desert now here's what's so interesting there is that satan comes to tempt jesus and three particular temptations never once does jesus succumb every time he responds with the word of god and there in the barren wilderness jesus defeats satan just think about it Uh, jesus succeeds in a barren wilderness where adam and eve fell in a plush garden But that won't be the only time that Satan comes to tempt uh, Jesus. Satan tempts Jesus through Peter. After Jesus tells Peter and the disciples that, hey, just a little while, the Son of Man, I must die. I must be buried. And three days later, I will rise from the dead. Well, Peter says, over my dead body, Jesus. And what does Jesus tell Peter? Get behind me, Satan, for you do not speak of the things Of God. But that won't be the only other time that Satan tempts Jesus. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus knew what was coming. He knew the cross was coming, he knew God's wrath would be poured out. And it's in that garden where Jesus prays to the Father if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But I love the next sentence, but not my will, yours be done. And as the story unfolds, Jesus is crucified on a cross and he eventually breathes his last breath. Now, you're the serpent, right? Done it! I've killed him! He's dead! They put him in a tomb! Rolled the stone over the tomb, but but oh, here's the good news. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, and his death and his resurrection. Guess what? It guess what? It did. It stomped the head of the serpent, defeating Satan. Satan is a defeated foe, and this is incredible news. And it is the resurrection that is the ultimate sign of Jesus' reversal of the curse of sin. Here's a principle that I want us to realize this morning. You cannot have the good news of salvation without the bad news of sin. You cannot have the good news of salvation without the bad news of sin. We do realize that we live in a culture that does not want to hear bad news. We, in fact, actually live in a culture they don't even want to believe in bad news. We have a characteristic in our culture that is called relativism, meaning you just make news whatever you want it to be. If you think news is bad, don't listen to it. If you think news is bad, just change it. If you think you're immoral, just change your morals. But here lies the problem. This kind of relativism is extremely deceptive because it isn't relativism, it's absolutism. Because these same people who want people to have complete autonomy to do you are the same people that claim to hold, uh, they're the same people that claim those who hold a moral absolute understanding of life to be anathema, to be canceled. But, But I don't want you to miss this. What is happening in our culture, they're flipping this script upside down. And here's what they're saying. They're saying the bad news is people are going to tell you something is wrong with you. But the good news is nothing is wrong with you. Just be you. That's what our culture is telling us. Is that there are going to be people like Christians that's going to tell you that you're bad. Don't listen to them because that's not true. You just be you. But can I say that this is a lie straight from the pit of hell. In fact, our own culture knows it's not true. Why? Because they barrage us every day with... with advertisements with commercials with social media posts that says you need this to feel satisfied you need this to be happy you need to think this way to be free and so they barrage us with these messages every single day that says you're not really good being just you and here's what's happening don't miss this don't miss this online is what our culture is trying to do is that they really don't want you to be you. They want you to be them created in their image. And this is concerning. Why? Because as human beings, we were designed to be under authority. That's how God designed us in his image to be under his authority, to reflect his glory but when our authority becomes any, any person or anything other than God, we are damaged and we are distorted and we reflect a distorted image. And so let me just be clear once again this morning. There is bad news. The bad news is you are a sinner. I am a sinner. The bad news is that you are a rebel and I am a rebel. That we are damaged because of sin we have created a a planet that is damaged because of sin everything that we create and everything that we do as flawed human beings is flawed that is the bad news that the bible teaches but there there's good news and what what's the good news is that God loves us too much to leave us in our damaged state that he pursued us he shares that we have some bad news but he shared even glorious good news that actually covers the bad news and this news is that Jesus Christ loves you died for you took your place and in Jesus you can be fully satisfied in Jesus you can be fully complete in Jesus you can have a flourishing life. That is the good news. Amen. In Jesus, we are made new. So, let me go to the third way, and I'm going to go fairly quick with the third and the fourth way so that we can observe communion. But the third way that God loves in this text is God sacrifices a life to cover nakedness. God sacrifices a life to cover nakedness. Verse 20 and 21. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now what's interesting here is we do know that they have already created some type of loin cloth through figs. Fig leaves. But they needed something better. Uh, can I just say from the guard, since the garden, mankind has been trying to clothe him and herself in their own power, in their own creativity, in their own ingenuity. And they've done so through two major ways, religion and philosophy, to try to cover shame, sin, and embarrassment. But here we see the only remedy to be fully covered is through the hands of God. God made them clothing. God made them clothing. And there's so, so, so much meaning here, but let me, just, let, me, let me just say three quick things, though, about how God clothes them. One, it shows that he loves them, that he would even provide clothing for them. Like God loves you, and he wants to cover his love all over you. The other thing that we learn is that God had to take a life in order to clothe the life. In order to clothe Adam and Eve, something had to die. Many scholars believe it was an animal here, that God kills an animal and takes the skin of the animal and clothes Adam and Eve. This is where we get this idea of atoning sacrifice, that something had to die in order for something to live. And so God right here, he shows, he gives us a sign, a foreshadowing that there would have to be a greater sacrifice to fully clothe the humanity. And then we see that it is satisfactory, it is sufficient. What man does is insufficient, what God does is sufficient. And if you read the annuals of scripture, what you will see in the Old Testament is God sets up this system in the tabernacle and in the temple. It's a sacrificial system where there will be sacrifices made on behalf of the sin of God's people. But but it was only a sign because you had to get to the New Testament. You had to get to the seed. You had to get to Jesus. And the reason why Jesus died on the cross is because we should have died on the cross. We should have had the wrath of God poured out on us. But yet God incarnate, fully God, fully man, comes to planet Earth, walks a perfect life, and dies on the cross as the substitutionary atonement for our lives. That's love. Love. It's love. That's the reason why we do have John 3:16 for God. So love the world. It's the reason why we have in Romans 5:8, but God demonstrates His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, and it is satisfactory. That means Jesus died once and for all. He doesn't have to keep dying and dying and dying for us. no, He's died once and for all, and His blood covers us for all. And so here in just a moment, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. But before we do, because the Lord's Supper actually reminds us of Jesus's life for ours. But before we do, let me say one more thing about how God loves us. God sends them out as strangers only to invite them back in as family. What we read is that God kicks them out of the garden I want us to realize that mankind was never to live outside the garden. Many scholars believe that Adam and Eve were to extend the boundaries of Eden to until the glory of God, where he dwells, the garden of Eden, to the glory and the presence of God filled the earth. Mankind was never to live outside the garden. They were just to extend the boundaries. So when they got kicked out of the garden, they became strangers and aliens and foreigners in an unfamiliar land. But God's going to pursue man in exile. And God is going to get his people. He's going to save them. And he's going to bring them back home. We see that again foreshadowed in Israel in the Old Testament. But this is so good. Don't miss this. When Jesus is on the cross, there's a thief. And there's moment where the thief tells Jesus will you remember me when you come into your kingdom do you know what the thief says or what Jesus says to the thief today you will be with me in do you know that word paradise is very interesting the word paradise is actually used in the Septuagint you say what's the Septuagint the Septuagint is basically the Old Testament translation in Greek not Hebrew And so in the Septuagint, that word paradise is used 21 times, and it is used 21 times to describe the Garden of Eden. Do you know what Jesus is telling the thief today? You will be with me back home. You will be with me back home. But here's the, I mean, the news even gets better. Not only will you be welcomed back home as a saint, you will be welcomed back home as my spouse. You see, God kicks sinners out of the garden only to invite them back into the garden, into home, now as his bride. That is the reason why, Revelation, we read the marriage supper of the Lamb. That those who receive the love of God, they're not only clothed by Jesus, but they are now married to Jesus, seen as his bride and as a child of God that is the kind of love that we celebrate at Christmas let's pray and we'll observe communion Jesus thank you what love what love and I know that there are people here today listening online they need to know that love that love that love story is greater than any story Disney could ever write. It's, it's better than Snow White. It's better than Beauty and the Beast. It's better than Cinderella. It's the love of God for sinners. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For loving us. May we love you you back and it's in your name we pray amen well we're going to enter into a time of communion and you should have picked up your communion package on the way in there is a thin piece of film on the top and then there's another layer and you'll just pull that back but I want to read Matthew chapter 26 where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. Now, again, this is a foreshadowing of what will happen at the very end of the age, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so what we're doing now is, is present, has present uh, ramifications, but it also has what we call eschatological future ramifications, Okay. And so what we're doing right now is that we're remembering the body that was broken and the blood that was shed to cover us. Jesus's body was broken, his blood was shed to cover our sin. That's what we're doing. But it's also foreshadowing a time where we will eat and drink in the kingdom of God, where he will have fully and completely destroyed Satan and sin and evil, and we will live forever and ever and ever there in the new city that Jesus is building. And so here's what we read. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body. And so let's go ahead and take the wafer, and let's take the body of Christ. Verse 27, then Jesus took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for you, for many, for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. This is the blood of Christ. And Jesus, we give thanks to you. your sacrifice thank you for loving the father supremely where you would obey him to the point of death death on the cross thank you for the love in which you have for us that you pursued us that you cover us that you propose to us and invite us back into your life your kingdom as your bride Thank you for your love. Amen.
1: Behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. Behold the Lamb of God, the life and light of men, behold the Lamb of
5: God's people said, and the word amen just means, isn't that right? That's what it is. Isn't that right? Isn't that true? It is true that God loves us. And so let us be sent in that love and let us not only love God, but but let us love one another. For it truly is the love of God that changes and transforms. Forms. May the Lord bless and keep us. May his face shine upon us and be gracious. You are sent out to be the salt and light of the world.